Welcome to this episode of the John Papaloni Show. This is episode 61. Today I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Kristen Donnelly. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's going to be a delight. Absolutely. I've, uh, I'm really excited about this. I saw your profile and I kind of saw what you did. And I thought, this is unique and different. So I wanted to know more. So rather than reaching out to know more, I figured get you on the podcast and I figure out more. That works for me. I think it's always, I like conversations better than reading one sheets. So I agree. I would have done the same thing. So what, with that being said, why don't we start off with a brief biography? Sure. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Kristen Donnelly. I am an empathy educator, a TEDx speaker, a keynote speaker, and workshop facilitator. And I spend my life helping people be curious about themselves and the world around them. I also happen to be the COO of my family's network of companies. And uh, so I am the, the way that I do the empathy education is a company within that network. It's called Abby Research. And I run it with my best friend, uh, Dr. Aaron Hinson. We are the good doctors and we empower inclusive communities to be better versions of themselves, essentially, whether that's a nonprofit, an organization, a company, what, what have you. We like to have the hard conversations to help all of us human together a little bit better. Uh, I have a master's of social work and a master's of divinity from Baylor University. And I have a PhD from the Queens University of Belfast. I'm married to a Northern Irish guy named John, who I brought back to America with me when I finished my schooling. And we now live outside of Philadelphia, uh, where we are generally surrounded by books and video game consoles. So that's pretty much our lives. Ah, so you're an avid reader. Yes, very avid. Yeah, very, very avid have been my whole life, took a speed reading course in seventh grade. And that was the end of that. I always have a book in my hand. Nice. What's your current read? Oh, God, there's like 12 of them. So my current read for work is uh, a book called How to Hide an Empire, which is the, the 20th century history of the United States and our colonial projects that we don't call colonization, but things like the Philippines and Guam and Puerto Rico and things like that. And then for fun, um, I'm always reading a romance novel. Um, and I actually just finished one and I'll start another one soon. But romance is my uh, genre of choice for decompression. Ah, okay. Yeah, I, I like to read as well. I mean, I don't think I read it, you know, I don't think I'm as deep into it as you are. <laughs> by the Few people it, are, but... to be honest. <laughs> so I get about 20 books a year, roughly. Nice. So two a month. Listen, all reading is good reading, whether that's reading internet articles or, you know, books, all reading that helps us understand the world from somebody else's perspective is good reading. Very true. So now, I mean, going back to what you're doing and stuff, like, did you always know that you were going to take this route? Like, why don't you take us through the process? Like, how did you figure out, you know, what you wanted to do or how did you land into the position? Oh, gracious. So that's a complicated question that I will attempt to be brief with. I always knew I've loved teaching um, and teaching and all, not necessarily just, um, you know, I knew I didn't really want to be in a classroom necessarily, but I love the relationships that come with teaching as well. So for a while, I trained to be a youth worker and I was a youth worker for a long time. Then that didn't end up working out. And so I was in graduate school at the time and thought, well, maybe I'd like to be a professor. So chase that for a little while. Realized that um, higher education is not um, 
a healthy environment necessarily for professors, especially. And I had quite become accustomed to eating. So I knew I needed a different job, um, one that would pay things, which higher ed does not really anymore. And in the meantime, this family business has been cooking for my whole life. We've owned it for about 30 years. And my father uh, was always like the... Um, the entrepreneur who wanted the business to go to his kids in a way, but both my brother and I were like, well, you know, he, it's a dye manufacturing company is what we own primarily. And we were both like, I don't really want to make dye. Um, and I couldn't figure out how my passion for people and for education would fit into dye making. Like I just couldn't quite figure that out. So then over the years we realized that our family mission statement is to impact lives and create wealth. And anything I do can fit easily into that mission statement. We just had to start thinking bigger than making widgets. So when my PhD was finished, um, my, I, my husband and I emigrated to the United States. We got him a green card um, and we emigrated to the United States and I started working uh, and then and did some part-time stuff. I was the in-house social worker for a little bit. I helped with government regulations. I kind of did some stuff as I started this Abbey Research Company because it was like, okay, well, what I can do is take the world-class legitimately research skills that I was taught and help the marketplace because businesses are not taught how to do research. They're not taught how to ask questions. You know, most people throw together a survey monkey and like, I look at the questions and I'm like, oh, they're not getting you the data you actually want to get. But small businesses can't afford to hire like Deloitte or Lilly or the big guys. And maybe the data that those big guys get doesn't apply to the tiny businesses. So we wanted to have that kind of, that kind of um, beginning. And so that's where we started. And over the years, um, as I took a more strategic, long-term, prominent role in the parent company, Abbey Research evolved as well, obviously, because all businesses evolve. And in the last couple of years, uh, in particular, the summer of 2020, when all of us were inside, and um, I wasn't, I was still at work every day, but I was watching the world inside and watching everything that was happening. Uh, we are an essential manufacturer, so we never shut down a single day. So I was at work every day throughout the pandemic, as were all of my employees. And we, uh, throughout the, that phase of the pandemic, we're still in the pandemic. But the, what I realized what we love to do, my, my partner Aaron and I, was have those difficult conversations. We had been given this long set of training to understand that um, you can understand somebody without agreeing with them. And that we believe deeply that that was the way forward in humanity. Our training is from the conflict zone of Northern Ireland. Um, I've been working in conflict zones all over the world for a long time. Rwanda, Colombia, South Africa, Burundi, um, Northern Ireland, and been studying them and looking at them. And we're like, okay, well, what if we could bring that to just everyday conversations? What if we could bring those, you know, conflict mitigation skills, as it were, which are really just all founded in listening and accepting that somebody else's worldview is allowed to be theirs <laughs> and you're allowed to have yours and that's okay. And so as we started playing around with that and developing that, that's when we shifted to empathy education. I had the privilege of giving a Ted talk around it earlier this year. I'm about to give another one in a couple months around it and really moving people towards what we realize is what we've known all along is that empathy is not actually emotional. It's intellectual. And well, that's an interesting thing right mm -hmm. there. Yeah. I mean, because you think empathy, you know, you think, you know, sort of understanding people, you yeah. think it's emotion. No, it's a decision. I just learned something. <laughs> it, I mean, so the reason is because emotions researchers have been the ones to teach us about empathy. And there's definitely emotion in it. Don't get us wrong. But it is not 
But when we talk about emotions, I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, if it's an emotion, I can't really do anything with that. I can't change how I emotionally process. But we can always change our brains. We can always learn something different. So that's why we like to talk about empathy as an intellectual posture. It's a decision that you make in every conversation to learn what somebody else believes about things, understands about things, how they see the world, and then accept that theirs is just as valid as yours. Um, and you don't have to be in relationship with that person. You don't have to, you definitely don't have to agree with them. There's lots of people I understand without agreeing with them. Um, but you have to seek to understand, to to live in a kind of cohesive society. And that's really what we where we think we've fractured so much because we never seek understanding. We always seek agreement. And that's not the goal. Agreement can't be the goal. Understanding has to be the goal. See, I'm going to... You brought up a good point, and I actually have been thinking about this for the last few days, right? I mean, like, the world has gone through so many changes, and we have come to realize some of the tragedies from the past that at one point in time was just accepted because that's the way it is. Now we have what, what, what we call the cancel culture, which, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to get into what I think about that, but... Um, I understand the justification of it. I just think the approach is wrong. But again, we'll get into political part of it. Um, but where I'm going with this is the fact that there's a lot to learn from this past, a lot to learn from everything we've got, you know, gone through or people have gone through. And we had the opportunity to grow and change. And now you even hear the desire to change and grow in politics. Now, whether it's because they want to get elected or whether it's because they really believe it, who knows, right? Like, I mean, when elections come up and we're in an election right now, a lot of issues that were kind of ignored before tend to be priority. So everyone can have their opinion on which one it is. That's their opinion. But where I'm going with this is like, we seem to have been making some form of progress. And then now with this pandemic and, you know, it's the whole fight between vaccinated and unvaccinated and, you know, I mean, like people are, are arguing with each other and it's like that sense of you're allowed to believe what you believe and let me believe what I believe and we can agree to disagree has honestly become a thin line. Like Very true. Yeah. Like it's like people are having all right battles about vaccinations. Mm -hmm. Right. And now they're talking about vaccination passports. Mm -hmm. So you're not allowed to live if you don't have a vaccine. And then you have the, again, that created another fight. So we were finally getting united. Now this is in a way is called causing a virtual civil war. I could call it that because there's no real fist fighting or shooting or anything like that, which is thank God. Right? Well, maybe but, not in Canada, but in the U S it's gotten a little physically violent, but that's okay. Wow. Right. Yeah. Like that's kind of crazy. Right. But I mean, it's so the point is we got one step ahead only to come two steps back. So right? that, that happens a lot in social change. So let me tackle that. There's a, um, there's a theory of social change called paradigm shifts. And it's, it's the idea that like all of life is in bubbles. Okay. So imagine, imagine a bunch of rubber balls that are all together, but they don't like they're touching, but they don't like interact. Right. And the way that social change happens is that something within one of those balls starts going nuts and agitating and it explodes the ball. 
and then it can absorb other balls. It can become different things, but that agitation is the key. The agitation is, is the thing. So first of all, all social change happens through agitation in some way, shape or form. So let me say that. Let me also say that just because you can ex understand somebody else's worldview does not mean you have to even accept it on its face value. This is where things get a little bit, you have to get very emotionally mature in a way. You have to be able to say, listen, I get where you're coming from. I violently disagree. And maybe that's a relationship deal breaker for you. I have friends that cannot be in relationship with people, for instance, who are choosing to be unvaccinated for lots of reasons. They themselves are immunocompromised. They have children, you know, all those kind of things. They've chosen to break relationship. I still think that's that that can also happen with understanding. You can say, I get where you're coming from. I understand why you're terrified of this. I don't agree with you. And there's consequences to those decisions. So there's all of that. The problem right now, I think, is that the emotions are so much of a part of it. The fear that comes with COVID, the fear that comes, and, and all a lot of different facets, the fear of losing your business, the fear of losing your family members, the fear of losing your own health. Fear is a very paralyzing motivator. It really eliminates your ability to see things beyond your own fear. That's just one of the things that happens. And we're very fear-based right now. Um, there is also these things in our pockets that help us feed our fear pretty easily unless we're intentionally seeking non-fear-based things. Fear is how most media makes money now. So it's very easy, including social media, Facebook makes all of its money off our fear. Twitter makes all of its money off our fear. And so fear is really, really simple. This is one of the reasons why we say that empathy is intellectual and not emotional, because you have to kind of move past the emotions and get to the logic of it. So what is the logic of this? The logic is that we have required vaccines in every country for a long time. You have to be vaccinated to enter the United States. My husband went through a host of vaccinations to get here. Um, I, you know, my niece was just born. She went through her first rounds of vaccinations so that she can go to school. We've been requiring vaccinations for a really long time. So why is this vaccine's requirement even up for debate? Why are we even having that conversation? Well, because of all of these other measures. So let's look at that and how do we mitigate that, blah, 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 blah. So all of that to say, we're in a really big precipice of social change. Social change is always painful for just about everybody because change is always painful for everybody. Power gets up, uprooted. I don't, I, I know very little about the Canadian elections, except that I love a lot of Canadians. So I know you're in it right now. Um, but I will say that, that this tracks with every single political system around the world is that people get elected based on fear. It's one of the ways they get elected. And so the I, all of life is political, but not all of life is partisan. So everything right. is this, every decision you make affects the politic of the greater body, but not everything is partisan. I try very hard not to live a partisan life, but we all live political lives. And I try to really hard to differentiate between those things. But the reason that we take, you know, and I'm not even entirely sure we took two steps forward and one step back. I'll be really honest. I'm not ever sure we take steps as a nation or as a people or as a thing. I think we all kind of stumble forward in our own pattern <laughs> um, and we're trying to take steps forward. But there's always people that are not in that step process. 
I think, especially in the United States, we've learned, you know, a lot about marginalized and you guys in Canada are reckoning with industrial schools and, you know, who has always been left out of those, those progress steps. And even now when marginalized voices are taking progress steps, there are people who have been in power that feel very marginalized, you know, so there's all, it's always messy. Um, but that's one of the reasons that we're so passionate about talking about empathy as intellectual, because I can empathize with you intellectually without giving into my fear of what you believe. Right. I agree with everything you just said. I mean, it is very fear-based and to be honest, it's one of those things that like, again, I, I believe everybody has the right to live by their beliefs. No one out there, especially in a free country, should be told how to live, right? And I agree with like what you said, like you have friends or people, you know, that, you know, just don't want to be around unvaccinated and it's their right to not be around. I, I, I totally agree with the, you know, you're allowed to have that opinion. And you know what? I'm a vaccinated person and I, I'm not going to lie about it. Me too. Same. Um, do I understand it? No, but I figured, you know what? We've had vaccinations our whole lives. Yeah. Um, we're kind of used to this. I always um, joke if you've had lunch meat, then you, you're, the vaccine is fine. Like you've been putting things in your body you don't understand for a long time. So right. yeah, if you've eaten a hot dog, you're fine. <laughs> right. And that was a personal choice, right? And yep. that's what yep. I, 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 you know, I made a choice and went with it. So, and that's fine for those who don't, but, but those choices then have consequences. And I think that's where we've really fallen down. People have the right to make choices, but then those choices have consequences. You can choose to smoke. It just means you can't smoke inside anymore. We as a society decided you can't, you know, right. so there's, there's lots of things like that, that I think we're also losing sight of. Right. But where I'm going with this and I'm okay with consequences too, to a point, right? I'm okay with that. But it's just one, again, it's a conscious choice. The part that I think that needs to stop is the attacking. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're giving parameters and you're attacking, uh, people are attacking each other mm -hmm. as if that individual was the one who took away their right. You know what I mean? Like, I it's not, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, again, this is made through, these decisions are made through your elected parties. You don't like the decisions, you get a chance to change your vote on the next election. Yeah, especially in countries with a, with some sort of democracy. Yeah, right. So I completely agree with you, and I think again, this is why we want to always talk about logic over emotion, because you're completely correct. Attacking people for this is not the way forward, um, you, ever, ever in almost any situation. We say all the time, nobody changes their minds through shaming or statistics. They change their minds through relationships and stories. So if you want to change someone's mind. The, the way to do it is not to call them names. The way to do it is not to scream at them. The way to do it is not to physically harm them. Those are all fear-based responses that are not going to get us anywhere. Yeah, you're right. 100%. Yeah. So, okay. So you said you were on a TED Talk. Yep. And now you're going to do another one. Yes. How did that come about? <laughs> I joke that I just, I mean, I, it's not really a joke, but like I decided I wanted to do one. So I applied. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. So my TED journey started, um, I mean, I've wanted to do one for years, years and years and years. Uh, and my, so my journey started kind of in, in the middle of lockdown when, you know, I was staring at zoom screens all day and was like, you know, I would, I would like something else to do. <laughs> so I, I signed up for a two day masterclass about how to give a TED talk. 
figured, you know, it was like, I think it was like $47 US dollars. I was like, that's fine. I'll take a punt. If it's crap, it's crap. And it turned out to change my life because it gave this really specific formula of exactly what a TED is, how to get on the stage, everything else. From there, I signed up for a masterclass. And then, and within, but within those two days, I was given everything I needed to apply. I just decided to then get more support around it. So I ended up hiring the leader of that masterclass as a coach and kind of around it. So what a TED, the way to get on a TEDx stage, there's two ways. One, you can be asked and the other is you can apply. And both stages that I've been on, I've applied. I've never been asked. Um, I've applied to, I think we're up to 12 now. I've gotten a yes on two and a no on those other 10. Um, so the idea, so I had an idea worth spreading. You get it down to your idea in 15 words or less. Then you tell them, you know, why you're the person to spread the idea. And then every TEDx has different application things. Some want videos, some want longer bios, but everybody wants those two things. What's the idea and why are you the one that should do it? So I just started applying. Um, and so I was, I was very, very honored to get the very first one I ever applied for, which was South Lake Tahoe, California. So I gave that in May of 21. And then I was recently accepted to TEDx Chicago, which will be in October of 21. And I'll be giving that one. And there's a new idea every time. So my first idea is that we have to stop tolerating each other and start welcoming each other. And my second one is that we have to learn to react to trauma in other people's lives differently than how we do. Oh, great topics. Yeah, they're fun. They're really fun. Absolutely. Like, wow. I'm, uh, I'm impressed to be honest. Like, oh, cool. thanks. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I love speaking as well. Right. Like, I mean, I haven't done a lot of it. I've always been, uh, I don't know. I've always had excuses. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> we all do. I had them too. Yeah. And then I just decided, you know what? I looked around the world and I was like, the, the world's on fire. I don't know how much longer we're going to have here. I want to speak. So I'm going to do it. And I did it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, obviously life is about evolving, right? Mm -hmm. And you have, and like you've been in the business for a while. How has it evolved from when you started to today? Such a great question. So one of the things that's interesting for me too, is that I cut my teeth in a lot of faith-based stuff. And I'm not in that world as much anymore. So some of my answer is like, well, I think it's evolved, but it may not have, if that makes sense. But I would think obviously the biggest evolution is technology. Um, you know, you have to have a website now as a speaker, you know, they want videos of you. That wasn't ever like, I never got, I don't, I don't still don't really have a video and I've been being booked for, you know, decades. Um, and then after faith-based stuff, I went to academia and that world is totally different too than speaking. But I would say we're a lot more now than we were in the 80s or 90s. We understand now that screaming at people isn't really the way to make them change in a way that we did. Uh, we kind of valued a lot more in the 80s and 90s and early aughts. Um, we're, I think, as a people, a little bit more skeptical of someone who calls themselves a motivational speaker. <laughs> and so as a speaker, you have to be you have to be so much more focused on serving the audience than serving yourself like the big names now, Simon Sinek and um, Brene Brown is two of like the kind of the people that everybody wants to hear from now, how they cut their teeth and built their business is a lot more on humility and ideas than on a cult of personality, like many of the big names in 80s and 90s. Um, and even some of the big names that have come and gone, I think, you know, as a speaker, one of the cautionary tales lately is Rachel Hollis. 
um, who built a brand um, on what everybody thought she was. And then she comes out and goes, oh, I'm not that. Why did you think that? And she just exploded <laughs> and nobody wanted to hear from her anymore. She completely imploded. Um, and so there's a lot more lessons. People can always find out who you are now. How you craft yourself doesn't matter as much as who you actually are. And so that's a big evolution. People want to hear from authentic people about being authentically human. They're not interested in gimmicks because we've had, you know, 50 years of gimmicks not working. Um, and I think we're a lot more, especially around motivational speakers, as a human race, we're a lot more skeptical about the crossover into cults of personality and and following ideas versus people, like I said before. And so you you who you just gotta you gotta know your stuff now. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And there's a lot of so-called experts who've never practiced in the field that they're uh teaching. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, I, it's, I have a little saying and, and it's always proved to be right. It doesn't like, doesn't matter what people say, watch what they do. And if you're patient enough, the truth always comes out. You just have to give it enough time. Yeah, I agree. Right. Cause there's so many people that play the persona you know what I mean? Like uh, they're experts and all of a sudden they're changing uh, paths every six months. I don't know. An yeah. expert would be so busy. They wouldn't have time to change paths. I think, yeah. And I think there's a balance in that. Like I'm a multi-passionate, you know, and there's a lot of, that word is big now. I'm multi-passionate. I do a lot of different things, but there's a difference between hopping because you want to make money in a new niche to being a multi-passionate person. And I will tell you, your, your audience can tell. Um, and we are also very yeah. skeptical of the word expert now. Like that's one of the reasons, like I, I have a lot of the credentials to be an expert, right? Like I've spoken on Ted stages. I have a PhD from a world renowned university. Like I've got all the stuff, but I never refer to myself as an expert because that word's been so abused. Um, and I also don't feel like I can say I am. If somebody thinks, I think I have expertise in several topics. I know if I'm an expert or not. But, you know, people can bring me into spaces and say, you're the subject matter expert in this. We'd love to hear from you. And I'll say, okay. But I position myself as an educator because primarily that's what I try to be. And I think all experts really should be educators. I'm trying to help you understand what I spend so much more time of my life thinking about studying, researching. I've been thinking about trauma, inclusivity, empathy, emotional intelligence, been teaching on them, studying them, researching them, reading about it for almost 25 years. So I have a lot of stuff to say, and I'd love to help you. But then there's a lot, but to say that I'm the expert is also kind of crap because we all, A, we're all learning and evolving, like you said, and B, everybody kind of resonates with things differently. How I see the world may not work for somebody else. And so we all got to come forward with humility and say, this is what I know. I hope it serves you. And that's a lot, that's a lot more important these days than um, running around uh, and calling yourself an expert. I think. I agree with you. And that's the thing. If you're an expert at something, people will know that you are, you don't have to tell them. If yeah. you have to tell them, that means either you've done a poor job or that maybe you jumped ahead of yourself. Yeah. The people will know. People will know based, like you said, we have all the information in front of us today through the internet, through reputation. I mean, everything's built on brand today. Brand is more important than advertising as far as I'm concerned because, oh, for sure. you know, like people may see your stuff online, 
But if you don't have a reputation, they don't know you. They may not care. Where if they see your brand, your brand usually reveals your why, and people will relate to that. Hmm. And then, you know, they'll get to, they'll want to know more, do the research, and then they'll come up with their own opinion. You know know what I mean? Yeah, I think, you know, somebody told me the other day, one of the marketing experts that I am, who is absolutely an expert, and I am privileged to be her friend, said that one of the shifts in marketing that's happening is that for a long time, it was uh, considered inbound marketing, where you charged, you know, tiny, tiny things on nearly everything you did. So like you didn't really ever sell giant courses or command giant fees. You sold like $47 things, but you sold 90 of them kind of thing. And now the philosophy really is give absolutely everything away except for that really big ticket item. So give away tiny courses, webinars, booklets, eBooks, but then charge like 20 grand to be in person. And because what you do is people are much more precious with their time than their money. And so if they spend time with you, then they'll want to give you that money. You've already proven their value. But if you keep asking them for like nickel and dimed, they're less likely to trust you and want to give you the big money because they feel they are already giving you money already. And I think that goes to what you're saying. That it's a lot more about just being who you are and being of service and then the big the big gigs will come i absolutely agree with that and that's exactly where i was going with it right like it's it's just the way we're we are today like we have evolved and all the tricks have been played and done and people are fed up right like like even myself i'll be honest i get a lot of emails or direct messages or whatever and it's always I can help you. And every time somebody says I can help you, I want to reply with what the heck are you trying to sell me? Because you don't want to help me. You want to sell me something. Yeah. And I don't, I understand that cold, cold emails works for people. I don't, I've never been one of those people it works for. Um, and so like when coaches have told me to do like cold emails, I'm like, I'd love to know who it works on. Like, I really, really would. But like, yeah, I get emails every day that are like, hey, we looked at your website and here's the problems. I'm like, cool. I don't, website prior, website fixing is not on my priority list right now. So all you did was stress me out about something that currently wasn't on my radar. Thanks. Like, I won't be, thank you. I won't be working with you. When I am ready to fix a problem, I will find somebody to get it. But like this, this, I think so many services think that because, like website is your priority, then that should be my priority. But I, as a business owner, have 90 of them. And I only have so much bandwidth. And it is not nearly as simple as just saying, oh, yes, please, you're so right. It's so broken. Fix my website. <laughs> like, it just doesn't work like that. So I don't understand that philosophy. But I mean, it, there are lots and lots of webinars you'll go to that tell you that that works. It has just literally never worked on me. Well, it's an old school tactic, right? Just like in real estate, door knocking still works. By the way, it's still 1985. It's not 2021. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, yeah. those old school tactics don't work. But look, we just gone through a pandemic and where people are becoming afraid of each other. You really think people want to open up the door and say, hey, oh, I'm glad you're here? Yeah. And I didn't want to do that before the pandemic because when my, it's, it's really interesting too, because we also need to talk about generations and how, you know, every generation, every generational cohort is its own culture. And then they interact with certain things that also makes every human person has their own individual culture. So I 
one of the hardest things for me about living in um, living in the UK and living in Northern Ireland was the culture that you can just call around to somebody's house. And like, but that's a cultural thing there. For me, my whole life has been really struck, like strongly structurally and scheduled. So by the time I get home at night, if I have a free Saturday afternoon or a free Tuesday night, I've already mentally geared myself to do all the projects that need my attention. And sometimes that project is playing a video game to rest, <laughs> but it's not programmed. Other people are not programmed into my schedule. So to have somebody just drop by and have a chat is incredibly stressful to me. Very, very stressful over there happened all the time. Like we would just drive and like see my husband's cousins and like call in and calling in was a big culture and I had to get used to it. But now that we're back here, I am very much against the call in culture. <laughs> I'm like, listen, if you need to talk to me, here's my phone. We'll make an appointment. Like when you knock on my door, ask me if I have five minutes. And if I say no, then be okay with that. Like, don't say, well, it's only five minutes. Don't push me. I won't do it. But there are other people that always love interruptions and think it's amazing and are totally flexible and love those kind of chats prior to the pandemic. Maybe not so much now, but it's all, I think this is part of the problem when we assume, especially in sales, that one size fits all. Is it just never going to happen? Like my husband loves having random conversations with people at bars. I like sitting at the bar by myself with my book or with people I already know. He'll talk to a fence post and loves it. He makes friends on planes. On a plane, my headphones are in and I am doing this, you know, that kind of thing. So it's all really, it's all different. And if sales is, if sales and marketing and speaking and podcasting is all about connecting with the human, this is a little bit more of like why you've just got to do what resonates with you because you can never gear it towards what's going to work for the most amount of people. Gear right. it towards what feels right for you and then the people will come. Well, that's the other thing, right? Like going to what you just said. People give off social cues of what they want. If you're at the bar reading a book, that's a social cue that I'm reading. I'm not here to talk to you, right? Because why would you bring a book if you want to talk to people? Like it's, some of it is like just reading into things, yeah. right? Like if somebody's sitting at the bar and they're just having a drink and they're leaning, you know, that's usually because they're observing the bar. That's a social cue to say that person's observing to see who's there and what's going on. Yeah, that's usually a person who's open for chat. Yeah, people with headphones in, that's the social cue that they don't. The number of people that have tried to talk to me while I have headphones in, I'm like, friends and neighbors. <laughs> like, I this is I will be polite and cordial, but this means that I'm either on a call with somebody, I'm listening to a podcast, or I'm trying to decompress from something else that already just happened. Right. And that's, especially at conferences, um, you know, that's, it's, it's, how has everything evolved? we've also become more aware of our own needs and we've entertained those as valid instead of secondary to the needs of the audience. We understand in a different way now that you can only show up well for the audience if you are your best person. Yes. Yep, exactly. Right. And that's the thing. That's part of learning, right? All this is, yeah. is just, you know, and, and that's the thing, right? It's all stuff that, that have evolved and a lot of the younger generation are sort of creating this amongst themselves and getting it, but they're yeah. missing some cues too. So nobody's perfect. Sure. No, but each, no. But if we all take the time to learn, mm -hmm. there's a way to mend with each other and, and blend mm -hmm. and sort of have an acceptable 
you know, a form of communication amongst everybody. And I think that can, I, I believe if we all work together, we can all lift each other up. Correct. Yeah, I have, I am, um, my, our company, Abbey Research, is in a partnership with a university in Charleston called Charleston Southern University. And we help uh, prepare Gen Z for the workplace and the workplace for Gen Z. We provide, you know, professional level internships to local businesses in Charleston. And one of the things we always tell them is that this generation has so much to offer you, but you have so much to offer this generation. And their needs, all growth, again, happens through agitation and conversation and stories and relationships. And so let's learn together. They've got some really great perspectives, watching the toxicity of corporate America as they were growing up, watching their parents be exhausted. They tend to, you know, are, they've lived through two recessions and a pandemic now. Like they have some very specific ideas about money that a lot of the older generations don't have. And so how do we all learn from each other and helping Gen Z remember too, because developmentally they don't understand that the world is bigger than they are unless we push them because their brains haven't gotten to there yet. Their frontal lobes aren't fully developed, but that's, but most of them want them to be. So we just push them a little bit. We ask right. them questions. We say, Hey, have you considered this? And the, the ones, you know, the, the earnest kids, so much of this generation are just earnest kids that want to make a difference. Legit. Younger millennials, Gen Z, that's what they want to do. They're earnest and they want to make a difference because they know the world is, is a cohesive, an, a, uh, sorry, a shattered dumpster fire. We all know it. It's not a secret and they get it too. But we've got to have the honest, non-emotional conversations about how we all work together. Yeah, you're right. And that's the thing, right? It's it's all about, it goes back to, you know, empathy. If, you sh if you're empathetic mm -hmm. towards each other, you'll find a way to work with each other. Yeah. Like millennials, like they're called lazy. Um, uh, what else are they, you know, lazy. Oh, lazy, um, entitled. We, yes. Um, our love of avocado toast has destroyed the real estate market. All of those things. Yes. I am firmly an elder millennial. Um and I've been hearing for most of my life all the things that are wrong with us. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah that, that, that's exactly. But this yeah. is the thing: the reality is, it's not okay. The entitlement. Let, let's let's be honest. Part of that is not their fault. You grow oh, up no. getting a participation award, and you're told that you can do no wrong, no matter what. Your parents pat you on the back for uh, losing. Then you go to the real world and and say, what planet are you from? You know, get off your ass, start moving. And they start getting yelled at. They're going, what the heck is going on? This is not the, what I, I was taught differently. And you're saying yeah. it's all your fault. But in turn, that, that, that's how I explain the entitlement part. For sure. And, and it's not their fault. You can't blame them for that. But you got to admire their sense of purpose, right? Like going around and say, if you do this, I'm going to give you an extra thousand dollars. Yeehaw, right? Like, like if you're going to work, you're already going to work with the expectation that you're going to get what you need to get a little bit more. It comes to a point that a number is just a number. Like I, I think that magic number 72 K a year is an example. Once you make more than that, it's just an extra number. You can live the life you want in a happy manner with that 72 K. So just throwing extra numbers, is not exactly motivating. Right. It's not the younger generation. People in the early 80s, you know, you got an extra thousand bucks and it's like they're jumping for joy. They'll, 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 they'll trample people down to get that thousand bucks. Today, it's not the same. People want purpose. People want direction. People want reasons. They want they want to know why they're getting up to do this besides their paycheck. For sure. 
And I think also, especially millennials and Gen Z are also wanting, so the number, like a bonus may not be a thing, but if you will help them pay off their student loans, then you'll have their loyalty forever. So there's still monetary stuff. I don't know what that 72K number is for the US. Um, my guess is it's higher. <laughs> Um, and you know, dependent on cost of living where, wherever you are, but no, I mean, like I've heard, you know, various numbers thrown around for that for sure. Yeah. But well, well, to be fair, the 72 K was, is probably about six years old with the fact that real estate tripled since then, <laughs> maybe not the same number, but maybe it not. used to be. Yeah. And it, and that's the thing too. Like so many of my friends are like, I'm literally never going to be able to buy a house because I have my student loans. And so I'd like to stop being blamed for the housing market, you know, those kind of things. So I, I think it's, you know, and, and we, I, I'm in a marriage where my husband grew, was in the UK system. I think the most loans he took out was 7,000 pounds in his three years because of how they've set up their system. I had a lot more than that, but I've got a lot of friends that have two American student loan packages together and they're astronomical um, and getting out from underneath them while they're also trying to save for their kid's college or save for a mortgage. Or I mean, it's just hilarious. It's not, it's not going to happen. So it's, People need purpose. People have always needed purpose. We just measured it monetarily for a little while. And now we measure it more on rest, balance, joy, some other things like that. Um, and so it's, and that's also another thing of that the workplace in the US and Canada and England and kind of all the, the Western world. So it was, was designed for, you know, um, men who had partners at home who could do all of the domestic labor. So the whole workforce was designed for this person that could show up nine to five, give absolutely everything, do nothing else, bring nothing else with them, do all of that. And that wasn't ever really the case for everybody. We just pretended it was. And now we know it's not the case for most people. 60% of the workforce does not have somebody who takes care of 60% of the workforce globally takes care of at least some or, or all of the domestic labor around the house. That is that is very different than what the system is set up to do. And so we go back to the agitation. We go back to the to the conversations and the change. So companies now have to be more, you know, open about. I mean, it's still I think it's a crime that the United States doesn't have mandatory paternal leave. I think it's an actual like human rights violation and that we don't that we've tied our insurance to employment and not citizenship all of those things mean that we have a very specific way that workers can interact with each other that needs to change. So yeah, I, that's a soapbox I could get on for a very long time. So I will that's get funny. off now. Cause I know we're, I know we're reaching the end of our time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's um, I mean like this, this world is interesting and we're here for uh, an interesting time. We have a lot of technology has done so much for us. I mean, it has hurt us a bit, but it has helped us in much more ways. So the opportunity is here and through the pain points, like you're saying, is where you can find opportunity. Mm -hmm. The old adage of saving your way to riches will never happen. You can never earn your way to riches. And I don't care how many people think they can. Maybe 1% of the world will earn their way to riches. 99% will fail trying. So I believe investing is the way to build the future and people should be conscious of that and everything they do. Yeah. I believe pay your bills, pay your debts, pay everything off. There should be a side amount, a certain amount every month put away towards investment and where you invest is your choice. 
But I believe that's the the way to build wealth and retirement, not uh, trying to earn it. And I think that's where we got it wrong. Again, you got to be happy, right? That's the more, most important part. Mm-hmm. And I believe whenever, again, it goes back to what I said. If everybody works together to lift each other up, we can create a world that we're proud to be in. Something that everybody helps everybody. And we all have a purpose on earth. We just got to find what it is. I couldn't agree more. So, yep. So going on challenges through your journey, what was your biggest challenge? My own brain telling me that I couldn't do it or wasn't good enough um, or wasn't important enough or something else like that. The, the, once I got my mindset shifted, uh, other things fell into place and I was able to solve the problem creatively or, or what have you. There was definitely obstacles, but my biggest challenge was my own brain. Makes sense. How did, how did you get around that? Oh man, a lot of very wise people in my life helping me reframe my thinking. I'm a huge believer in community and uh, I have really high diagnosed clinical anxiety. And so there are times that I cannot trust my own brain because my brain, the chemicals in my brain mean that I can't, I just can't trust it. And so I've got folks in my life and I've been, you know, cultivating those relationships and trusting those people, some of them for, you know, 20, 30 years. And when I am not my best self, they can hold my best self for me. They can remind me who I'm supposed to be, who I am, who I can be, that those that the, all of the stuff that says I can't do X, Y and Z isn't true. Now, there are, of course, things like if I if I decided tomorrow to be an Olympic athlete, like that's not going to happen <laughs> for any host of reasons, including my particular body chemistry. So they would also then push back and be like, mm, that's not a that's not the calling. So let's reframe some things and uh, figure out how we can do what brings you joy, but also not set you up to fail. So it's all a a very kind of living organic relationship between them. But I joke that I outsource my mental health. And I think I often do um, because there are just times I can't be trusted with left to my own devices. And they are, uh, they are all wonderful in speaking truth back to me and helping me reshape my brain. Which is great. So, yeah, exactly. So mentors are important and which is great because I can see one of your strengths is self-awareness. Yes, it definitely is. It definitely is. Yeah. And I I think that's important. I think everybody should, you know, start working on their self-awareness because if you know where your strengths are and you know where your weaknesses are, you know where to work. So what's the future hold for your business and for yourself? World domination. Um, No, I kid. We are seeking to change the international conversation about empathy. And so however we can do that is what we're about doing. So speaking, writing, teaching, learning, conversing. We run a YouTube channel right now that does a lot of these conversations. That's also a podcast uh, where we try to help people cultivate their curiosity and build their empathy. I'm, like I said, taking the second TEDx stage in a little bit. We'll be, uh, we're booking events as the, you know, lockdown regulation shift in different places. We're getting back out on the road or in virtual events, doing keynotes and workshops and things all around the service of helping people think about empathy differently. Awesome. Now, do you have a succession plan or is it something you haven't gotten to yet? Oh, we're so fresh. No. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, eventually the the network of businesses will go to my niece and nephew. But uh, Abby Research right now, no, that's it's just me and it's me and Aaron, and we are it. Um, we are the brains behind it. So no, no succession plan. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's something that everyone gets it at different stages. You know what I mean? Like it's awesome. That's awesome. So that's good. You're in it for the long haul. Obviously you've been in it for a long time, which is great. So interesting. Interesting. Now, if someone wants, like, how, how does, like, what am I trying to say here? Like, Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like how does someone, and you know, approach you or, you know, get involved with your business? Like is, is people who are interested in like, like how does a person work with you basically? Like what's the process? Oh, so easily. We just get on the phone and talk about what your needs are and see if we can serve you. Um, I mean, getting in touch with us is very easy. We're on all the socials except for TikTok. So find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, our website, our YouTube, our podcast. There's lots of ways to get a hold of us. And we'd love to, uh, we believe in the relationship. So get on the phone with you and see if you're a good fit or if we're a good fit for you. Um, we are we are not shy to tell people we don't think we can serve you the best um, at all because we're here to serve and not to build an empire. Well said. So, you know, being respectful for your time, we're getting to that point. Um, any last words or suggestions to aspiring entrepreneurs? Absolutely. So my biggest one is to know who you are and what you're called to. So my definition, people talk about passion and a lot of other things like that. I talk about calling because I think it's much more bedrock to who we are. Calling is where your deepest passion meets the world's deepest need. And when we live out of that place and out of that calling, Things that are challenges become, present themselves as more puzzles than challenges. When we can see the call and understand our place and our role in the universe, um, then that's kind of what's big. And that may sound like you may be thinking like, well, I really want to sell dog treats. Cool. If your deepest passion is dog treats, then I would imagine I don't have a dog. Finding good quality dog treats is somebody's deepest need. So like that, it fits everywhere. It fits everything. But even if you're making widgets, my guess is that the the calling beyond that can stay no matter what you're manufacturing. Again, our family's mission statement is to impact lives and create wealth. And wealth is holistic. It's emotional, financial, social, psychological, economic, everything. So everything we do is driven by those five words. Everything. That's our calling. What it looks like on a daily basis may change. But my brother and I say all the time, we don't know if in 30 years we'll still be making dye. We don't. But we do know that we will be impacting lives and creating wealth. So that's my biggest tip. Get that foundational calling down because then not everything doesn't get easier. I'm never going to tell you entrepreneurship is easy. That's a lie from somebody trying to tell you sell you something if they're telling you that. But it does become a lot more, um, you're, it becomes a lot more flexible and manageable if you understand why you're there. Makes sense. Um, what, where can, uh, you know, oh yeah, you gave, you gave us a social profiles already, right? Yep. We're at Abby research, A B B E Y research across everywhere, except for TikTok. Fantastic. I want to say thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. 
It was very informative. I've learned a lot myself. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. And uh, we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Please. Thank you so much, John.